Bowl season rolls on. USF and Syracuse squaring off in the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. That's in Florida. Co- coverage begins at 8 Eastern. <laughs> Tonight on ESPN, Deportes Plus and the app. Two things on that game, by the way. One of them, Harry Douglas, who's usually here with us on Thursdays. He's down there covering that game. Okay, Harry. All right. So we'll see if there's a bad boy bad. How are you not covering that game? You live across the street. I know. They wouldn't even have to give me per diem. This is my point. Because he's an elite, elitist and lives in Fairfield <laughs> County, Connecticut now. Is, is, is Harry, like, having dinner over at the house tonight? Yeah, yeah. He's got, he's got to walk the dog and Ella's home. So, yeah. <laughs> Did you let him use your country club membership? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, we welcome you back to another hour live here of Get Up. We are brought to you by Patron Perfection. Uh, Starts with Patron. Huge hour of football conversation. Let's do it. Bold predictions for a big weekend in the NFL. D. Wood, give me something bold. How about the New York football giant beating the Philadelphia Eagles? Oh, oh my God. Because <laughs> you like, I need, I need a bounce back. I need a bounce back from the G-men after what happened down there in New Orleans. And I think, listen, as much as we've been talking about Philadelphia and all their vulnerabilities, I think my man, Tommy DeVito, my man, I think he comes back and gives them boys the business, man. Oh, Come on. Things will get it. ugly in Philly. <laughs> Danny, give me a bold prediction. Uh, bold prediction. Matthew Stafford throws for three touchdowns tonight on Thursday Night Football versus the New Orleans Saints. Talked about Kyron Williams in their run game and how good Puka, Nakua, and Cooper Cup are with the blocking. But there is no quarterback in football throwing the ball better than Matthew Stafford. He is so hot right now. Three touchdowns tonight in a Rams win. You're 100% right. No one is talking about the Rams or how well Stafford is playing. Keep an eye on them tonight. Mike T, give me a bold prediction. The Dallas Cowboys are going to win 35-28. Weedy, <laughs> you may not know this, but somebody was dumb enough last week to say that the Cowboys weren't going to punt against Buffalo. I don't, it wasn't Dan, by the way, that said that. And of course that, not. Yeah. But we went into that game saying how great Dak Prescott was playing. Dallas's offense is going to bounce back. That's going to help Dallas's pass rush. They're going to win on the road. I, I give everybody at home just a little peek behind the curtain. Look, we all sit up here. We make predictions. We hope that they're right. Like anyone else, sometimes they're wrong. As that game was going the way it was going, I could not stop thinking about you, Mike. I was like, oh, my goodness. Because we've all been there. Like, God bless you, Josh Allen. Ever since I jumped on the bandwagon, you're the best player in the NFL. It's working out very well for me. That said, let's talk about this game here. We just talked about it from the Miami side of things. Let's talk about it from the Dallas side of things. They lost last week because they couldn't stop the run against Buffalo. Can Miami do the same thing to them? Absolutely. Mike McDaniel, two years ago when he was coaching with the San Francisco 49ers, coached against many ways this Dallas Cowboys defense, and it was very clear of like how he wanted to try and attack that. Respect for the aggression. He's going to use it against you. They're going to do toss counter. So one thing with toss is you get the defense flowing from one side of the field all the way to the other. And then you motion the fullback as a lead guy and wrap him back around where he comes from. Watch the second level for Dallas' defense. You're trying to get them to flow one way, and you design the cutback. That is not vision from the back. That is a designed cutback. Number two, you try to take the flow and, and kind of build it into your pass game as well. Ball fake one way. Maybe this is the pistol and a shotgun for Tua, and you have a man-beating route, a crosser versus man coverage. Look at the defense. You're trying to get that defense a speed and aggression and use it against them to create easy throws for your quarterback. Mm. And then the last thing is the 
perimeter screen game. If you go back to the Jets game last week, respect for the defensive line, perimeter screen galore to start the game. It's going to be the same thing. You're going to get spread five wide, make the defense cover sideline to sideline, anticipate some form of a pressure, and then you throw away from it. If this is Tyreek, this is a touchdown this weekend. Mike McDaniel is very equipped to understand in in a respectful way how to attack this Dallas defense. You're going to see a ton of motion at the snap. Something Miami does more than anybody, something that the Dallas Cowboys defense struggles with immensely. You're going to see a ton of man coverage. No quarterback in the league guts man coverage more than Tua Tungavailoa, and you will see a ton of runs to the left side of that formation. Why? Buffalo, who we all know dominated in the run game last week, is the number one run team when it comes to running the ball to the left of our offense. Uh. Number two, the Miami Dolphins. Ooh. So, so that the strength there seems to line up. This is strength on again. weakness. And, and we don't have a, a defensive player on our set today, but Marcus, when he was here yesterday, was making the point. No one's calling the Cowboys soft. That's not what this is. It is about every team has a strength and a weakness. And what their weakness is plays directly into, or I guess in this case, plays directly out of what the opposing team's strength is. So how do they stop it? If you're the Cowboys and you don't go up 14-0 in this game, which you can't count on, what does their defense need to do so that all those things Dan just so perfectly showed us don't wind up happening to them again? Yeah, listen, I always said, my, my saying has always been you got to earn the right to rush the passer, right? And it starts on early downs for the Dallas Cowboys. What you're going to have to do, D- Dallas is kind of light on the defensive side because they're so fast. That that's what the, everything is predicated on is speed, and, and you know teams know how to finesse that type of defense. I think you got to do some some run blitzes, stuff like that, to kind of fill in some of these gaps that 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 you know that you leave uncovered because you're constantly moving around on the defensive side of the football. Most importantly, they got to get to a situation where they're able to rush the passer. Mm. You got to stop the run on first and second down. You got to somehow get Miami behind the sticks. Yeah. That's, that's easier said than done, but you got to yeah, do that. Wood, I think Mike McDaniel takes the defensive line out of the game. What does that mean? Early downs, you're going to see tons of motion, tons of reverses, tons of like over-aggressive things from the defense, tons of perimeter screens. That's what you he, do. He what you do what you, and what Dan is talking about is the way when we talk about defensive lines, you want to get them tired. The one thing you want to do with a defense line, get them running sideline to sideline and wear them down because guess what? When those guys got to run sideline to sideline, that's what they can't do. Right. They can't rush the passer. Right. Right. So that's what Dan is talking about with the Miami Dolphins. I think the key is Stephon Gilmore. We go back to the Philly game. He made some big tackles in space against A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. Mm. And to Dwood's point, what's Dan Quinn going to have to do? Commit more to the run game, Greeny. They're going to have to hold up on the back end, which is hard to do with Waddle, that's assuming that Tyreek Hill. That's going to be tough. But, but if Stephon Gilmore plays the way against mm. he did against <laughs> the Eagles, he does on Sunday – that is going to be a big impact. You think so? I want to translate this for people who are in their fantasy playoffs and and and, and do other sorts of gambling and, and, and fantasy-related questions. I feel like you're forecasting a very big day for the Dolphins, but I'm trying to gauge if you're telling me Mostert and Achan are going to go nuts or Tyreek and Waddle are going to go nuts. How you want it? That, that's that's the unknown. That's, with, that's yeah. yeah. I, if if they if they are going to do. What Mike T is kind of intimating, like, hey, you're going to have to put more bodies down at the line of scrimmage. Then Tyreek, right? Good luck with that. It's yeah. gonna, it'll be night-night Irene with Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle. Now, if they're going to try to play with some coverage commitment, it's going to be a heavy Mostert, heavy A-chan game when it comes they, to their diversity in the run. Yeah, what you're minimizing, though, is what could Dallas do really well. They could rush the passer. So, even if they go eight-man spacing, yeah, I'm sure Miami's going to hit some home runs, but – 
I'm sure Dallas is going to get home a couple yeah, times too. No, I'm, I don't. I don't. I have a ton of respect for the Dallas Cowboys pass rush. I've called it for the last three years. Their third down pass rush is the best play in football. I just Mike watch when I've watched Mike McDaniel, and I even asked him because the thing coming into the season about Tua was what health. Sure, he's been hit less than any quarterback in football. Literally, was that purposeful? And he laughed at me. He said, "Of course it was." The ball is going to come out so quickly. He mm. never – you know how we always say Bill Belichick forces you to play left-handed? left-handed. Mike McDaniel does that in many ways as well. Defensively, I'm never going to allow you to do what you want to do. In Tua's case, it would be right-handed because he's a left-handed. But that, I understand <laughs> the point you're making. Let, very quickly, let me go to the other side. Yeah. The, the best thing the Cowboys can do for their own defense – is to play this game from in front. Sure. So talk to me about yeah. that matchup, the other side of the ball. So Cowboys offense, Miami defense. Yeah. I think the key to the game will be Jake Ferguson. Okay, so you're not going to have a ton of success mm-hmm. against Miami's defense throwing at Xavier Howard if he plays and Jalen Ramsey. you got to work those linebackers and or safeties. The problem with Dallas versus home in a way is this. When Dallas is at home, Dak is a cheat code. Mm. He's so smart and his understanding of defense is so elite that he goes to the line of scrimmage and he uses his voice inflection. Wood knows this. You get to the line of scrimmage, hot, 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 hot. You, you try to get the defense to tell you what they're doing. All right, hey, the, 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 the guy off the edge is blitzing. We're going to run away from it or something like that. So you use your voice to control the defense. On the road, they don't. The defense controls how and when they move. That's what happened in Buffalo. Dak didn't know exactly what was going on. If you just pay attention to these two clips, second downs, Dak at home would be hot, hot. He would realize the nickel's pressuring, the safety's coming down. He would never hand this ball off to an unblocked guy. But on the road, because he can't control the body language of the defense, well, there's the tackle for a loss. Second down in the red zone at home, hot, 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 hot. Oh, here comes that safety, check, check, or, and then here we go. Well, on the road, he doesn't get to do that because the crowd noise and there's a silent cadence, another unblocked run or a run to an unblocked defender. That's the downside. He doesn't control the defense on the road in the way that he does at home. One last point. Last week uh, when the Miami Dolphins played the Jets, Jalen Ramsey basically shadowed Garrett Wilson. Mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson didn't even have a catch until the second half. Yeah. Like he did – like, I could absolutely see them doing that with C.D. Lamb. So, my thing, you know, your whole point about Jake Ferguson, Brandon Cooks, those guys need to come alive in, in, in this type of game because if Jalen Ramsey is, is, is shadowing C.D. Lamb, that could be, that could be, a, a, that could be a tough day. Having watched the Jets' offensive line play last week, I'm not sure that's a good example for <laughs> any, anyone, but that's a whole other conversation. As we continue, we're talking about another quarterback. Is Lamar Jackson the most valuable and underappreciated player in the sport? Danny is breaking down tape to go in search of that answer. Plus, you should have heard D. Wood yelling at Tannenbaum in our production meeting this morning. It was about this choice, and you'll hear why. Next, let's get it on. Delicious, meat nutritious, and the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is, not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. 
So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We are back on Get Up and there's nothing I enjoy more than when Dan and I are down here and you're going to teach us all something. So a lot of conversation about how Lamar Jackson has probably played his way to the top of the MVP conversation, show us how. Making something out of nothing. Years ago, I said Lamar and Patrick Mahomes were the two quarterbacks that you could be in the perfect defensive play call. And you could execute that defensive play call perfectly, and it won't matter. Against Jacksonville Sunday Night Football, I want everyone to pay attention to the making something out of nothing element for Lamar's game. He's going to drop back to pass. And as he gets back and goes through his options, okay, freeze it from right there. There are nobody open for Baltimore offensively. Defensively, Jacksonville, if you're their play caller, I'm in the perfect play call. And then execution-wise, you have everybody completely blanketed. Now, the Lamar Jackson of old, what he would have done is, in this moment, taken off and scrambled right through here and tried to get two or three yards. But this is why we have a different and MVP caliber Lamar at quarterback. He keeps his eyes downfield, his vision, he resets himself, and I love the fact that his eyes stay downfield enough to see that Isaiah likely is going to have the opportunity for green grass to go make a big catch for their offense, and Lamar makes the absolute perfect throw when it comes to finding likely. Look at that. Away from those trailing defenders up high, he's made Isaiah likely play like Mark Andrews in many ways. That is making something out of nothing. Now let's go to third down. You have another opportunity where Lamar's going to drop back to pass, and Jacksonville is going to be in a perfect play call. You get pass rush off this side, and then you have a person that you have designated to scrape over the top because you're forcing Lamar to run that way. Is anybody open? No one open. No one open. No one open for the, for the offense. The defense has completely won this rep. Lamar keeps his eyes downfield, has a great understanding of, okay, I can continue. Look at Lamar of old would have scrambled. See how his eyes stay downfield? Eyes downfield. Look at where his eyes are. He continues to remain a passer. Lamar of old ran for two or three yards. A punt comes, but he remains a passer, keeps his eyes downfield, and then throws under duress across his body from a trailing corner to Rashad Bateman. We don't have many quarterbacks that make something out of nothing. Both of those plays were perfect calls from Mike Caldwell, the defensive coordinator for the Jaguars, and player-wise, executed perfectly. 
It didn't matter yeah. because of that player. I think a lot of people wonder just how different is their offense now. That was the big story of the offseason. Todd Munkin coming in to run this offense, bring in OBJ and or draft the rookie Vastly more weapons. Different. It, it's, it's different, and he is uh, still in the middle of it and playing at an MVP level in it. Absolutely. Everything runs through Lamar Jackson. Okay, excellent. So there's that one. Now we're going to go to sound off. A couple of other interesting quarterback questions. The Bears have to decide whether they're going to move on from Justin Fields or draft him weapons in this year's NFL draft. Jeff Saturday, sitting here yesterday, said Chicago should not worry about the concept of, quote, generational players. Yeah, I'm 100% keep Justin Fields. And listen, it, yeah. everybody's like, you got to do it. No, you don't got to do it. You got to do anything. There'll be another generational talent, y'all. I'm just letting you know. I've seen a bunch of them. Generational whatever. So there'll be another one coming around. Go get Marvin Harrison Jr. Go get four or five first-round picks and second-round picks. Because guess what? When you have two dudes like that with Moore and Harrison Jr. on the outside, come on, man. Then we'll go find the guy who can go just complete passes. All right, so this almost turned into what would have been the worst fight in the history of, of mankind <laughs> between Damian Woody and Mike Tannenbaum. That's why, uh, that's why I overpaid him, because this is how we negotiated his contract. <laughs> D. Wood, you, when you hear Jeff Saturday say, keep fields, trade that pick, get a king's ransom for it, put weapons around him, what do you think? My heart tells me I, I totally agree with mm. Jeff. I mm. totally agree. I know, you know, I know we got the graphic that, that shows, like, if we talk, put – Justin Fields' number over 17, over 17 games. Mm. I mean, that's what you essentially will be, you know, trading away right here. Right. I mean, that is, those are really good numbers right there for Justin Fields on a team, quite honestly, that's still buried for talent. Like, you trade away that number one pick and you get three, three ones and some other picks on top of that. And it really infuses roster. Where would Justin Fields be with a much better roster around him? Those are good numbers. I get it. I got what Mike, what Mike T was coming from. Resetting the contract, Caleb Williams. Everybody's talking about he's this transcend, transcendent talent. I get, I get all of that. But that's an unknown. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm watching every week what Justin Fields is doing out there. I don't know what Caleb Williams is going to do in the National Football League. So let, let us now open the uh, accounting offices of Tannenbaum and Greenberg. How, in your view, Mike T, does the the, the accountant in you, the, the capologist in you, view this decision? Yeah, it's an absolute no-brainer. And I like Justin Fields. Let the record show this is not an anti-Justin Fields. This is called the salary cap. Something I tried to explain to D. Wood a decade ago. Obviously, I didn't do a good job. You didn't care about it when you paid him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's be clear, Greeny. Bryce Young, the first pick in the draft, averages $9,488,000. Justin Fields, plus or minus, will be $35 to $40 million a year. Daniel Jones, and let's say it's Atlanta in a trade. I'd rather have Caleb Williams, who has higher upside, in my opinion, plus roughly an additional $30 million a year to improve the team. Here's the context. Gardner Minshew this year is making $1,750,000. Daniel Jones is making $40 million. Context matters in roster construction. Okay, so this conversation I find fascinating. You often ask us questions, and, and in many ways, we, we want to be convicted with our answer. What should the, the Chicago Bears do? I don't know. <laughs> and to me, that's unbelievable that a week before Christmas, we're an I don't know. It's a credit to Justin Fields. That he's even made this a conversation. He's made it because home. early October, it was like, what are we talking about? I don't know what they're gonna do. Danny, I want to ask you a question on behalf of Bears fans everywhere, because this is what they want to know. 
because this, we all understand that the salary cap is a huge part of this. But we get caught up in that too much. Well, at the end of the day, who's going to be the better player? So you sit there on Saturday nights on ABC with Booger and Agandhi. Yeah. You watch all the games. You've seen tons of Caleb Williams. You haven't started doing all the evaluation you will leading up to the draft. But you've seen more than enough of him to have a sense. Like three years from now, mm. all other things being equal, would you rather have Justin Fields or Caleb Williams as your quarterback? Because that might be, in the big picture, the best way to answer this question. My answer is Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is a more talented player coming out of college than Justin was two or three years ago when he came out. There is, when it comes to jaw-dropping, playmaking, making something out of nothing like I just showed with Lamar Jackson, that's Caleb Williams. I said that at the beginning of this year. He is Lamar, he's Patrick, and he's Josh Allen, all combined into one at his highs. Now his lows... He doesn't play in structure much. Can he get there? That's a determination that teams are going to have to kind of figure out. I'm going to remind you, I've said this before, don't lock him in with the number one pick either. Yeah. The young man from North Carolina is going to be in that conversation. I think the two things that the, the, the Bears have to ask themselves are, we get caught up in the whole reset the quarterback like financially thing too much. How's that working out with the Jets and Zach Wilson? How, the, the, the 49ers wanted to do that Trey Lance. How'd that work out? One, who's going to be the better player? Right. Your question. That's what I'm trying to find Is out. Is Justin Fields going to be worth $40 million? And then are you ready to take on a rookie quarterback? Because too often the Patriots with Mac Jones, the Steelers with Kenny Pickett, teams draft quarterbacks and aren't built to support them. Are they really built to support a rookie quarterback in Chicago? Offensively, right now, that answer is no. So let me just take you into a draft room. The Caleb Williams thing is really interesting because a head coach or the offensive coordinator is going to say in that room, like, well, we know that Lincoln Riley is a really good coach, and they're drilling fundamentals every day at Oklahoma, at USC, and Caleb Williams keeps turning the ball over. So the question is, like, can that be fixed? And if he didn't have someone like Lincoln Riley, you would say, yeah, he'll get coached better. But that will be the big question on Caleb Williams is why does he keep turning the ball over? So you think that there's a chance when push comes to shove, Drake May will be the first pick in this draft? I think it's two-thirds Caleb Williams, one-third Drake May. It's not a slam dunk. And, like, the easy comparison is Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold turned it over at USC, and he hasn't been able to overcome So that. let me ask you this then. If there is that level of uncertainty and you could get – three or four or five very high draft picks if you traded away the first pick in this year's draft. You're going to get good players with those. You have a bird in the hand. You, you have a known in Justin Fields who isn't going to get Patrick Mahomes' contract. In the big picture, that doesn't make sense? No, because look at Kansas City. Like Patrick Mahomes, they win championships on his rookie deal. He gets the deal he deserves, and now all of a sudden we're talking about their tackles. Tyreek Hill graduates. It just, it's the math. And when you pay a quarterback deservedly so, $50, $55 million. Can I also, can I also say this as Joe. well? It's like, okay, you go, with the, you go with the rookie quarterback, all right? What if it's a disaster now you got a regime change yeah. and then you got the similar situation that you speak about all the time when it comes to Chicago, how it's always the it's it's always they're never okay, on schedule. They're never on schedule. They're right. never in uh, they're never in sync together. That like we haven't like the Bears have the opportunity right now with Fields yeah. playing the way he's playing. You can win with a all lot of games assets, with him. You can win you can win a lot of games. The Bears organization has been Behind the chains, to use that term, off schedule. It's third and 11 in Chicago <laughs> for 100 years. I'm not suggesting they should do it this way. I'm suggesting it's something that at least needs to be considered as we move forward. Where is the pride in Pittsburgh, people? We will give you the one way and only way the Steelers 
can solve their biggest issue and save their season. And first, here we go, Tannenbaum. Hembo is back from his Eagles-created stomach flu. Uh-oh. And he's got a question for you. Who was the quarterback of the Steelers in the last season in which they had a losing record? The answer is next. Not going to lie to you, I don't have a good feeling about this. <laughs> We're back on Gap. Uh, Mike T is agonizing. He's getting all sorts of help uh, from the crew over here. The Steelers haven't had a losing record, we know, in forever, right? Who was their starting quarterback the last season in which they did have a losing record? Right, so some of those names going through my head are like O'Donnell, Bubby Brister, Charlie Batch, Mike Tomzik. I'm going to go with... Charlie Batch. Okay. You never even said the name. You said four names, and none of them were the person who it actually was. He said Cordell Stewart. It's not him either. It's Tommy. Oh. Six oh. and ten in 2003. The next season, they drafted Ben. <laughs> Look at him. He doesn't even know what that means, what he just did, by the way. Uh, who got it? Someone got it? Fink. I don't want to hear it with Fink. Stick that in your pipe, Fink. That's going to be our new segment. But anyway, the following year, they drafted Ben Roethlisberger, and they've not had a losing season since. Now, that brings us to Pittsburgh, where Mike Tomlin's Steelers are acting anything but like Steelers. That play in particular has been under extraordinary scrutiny. George Pickens' effort, or lack thereof, on that run in the first quarter last week against the Colts. Everyone was talking about it, including Pickens himself. Here's what he had to say. You stay on the block too long, you can get ran up on very easily. So, so some people are questioning your effort. All the people that's questioning my effort, down, 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 play football, they do what y'all do. All right, so we, we played that a little earlier, and D-Wood, it seemed to really irk you. Still bothers me, man. Still bothers me. The fact that you feel like you had to, I guess, try to show up the media or other people, well, you guys don't play football, so you would know. Like, I play football, and I know that when you, when you don't play 100 miles an hour, that's when you get hurt. When you put that type of stuff on tape, the, like, that's disrespectful. That's disrespectful to everyone out there busting their tail to try to make things happen. You literally right there on the goal line. Just your block alone could have helped, um, helped, helped, helped Jalen Warren yep. score the touchdown right there. And, Mike T., you talked about it earlier. When you put that stuff on tape, it's there for everyone to see. The league, everyone. Hell, we're talking about it right now because that's how egregious of a play it was. And the fact that you're sitting here crying and complaining about your numbers and stuff like that, what the hell is going on in Pittsburgh? Like, what the hell is going on with Pittsburgh? We never – hell, like my old Detroit team, you know, we were a bad team. That's the stuff that we, were, that <laughs> we had going in the locker room. Yeah. But the Pittsburgh Steelers with Mike Tomlin and for that to be going on? What the hell is going on? Well, th that's what many people are wondering. In fact, it, that it would include all the members of the Pittsburgh media – which includes our Brooke Pryor. They requested Mike Tomlin, who does not usually talk to the media during the week, to come out and address all of this because it's gotten so much attention. And what he said was fascinating. I would like him to be more professional in terms of addressing some of his shortcomings with you guys 
but the manner in which he deals with you guys is not necessarily the manner in which he deals with us or himself regarding acknowledging where he is and where he needs to go. When you're winning and doing your jobs, man, a lot of the attention and so forth is on things such as that. When you're not doing your job and losing, you better keep your damn mouth shut and understand that that tracks a certain type of attention as well. And usually that's vulture-like attention. And the vultures do seem to be circling this Pittsburgh Steelers team now, which again, sometimes we talk about like they're, you know, 3-11. and 11. I mean, they are still 7-7 seven and seven and in a playoff race. So there's Brooke Pryor, who of course has been a regular with us here on, on, uh, on Get Up and, and covers the Steelers day in and day out. So I mentioned it. You, you guys wanted to talk to Mike T because this is such an unusual set of circumstances. Take us behind the scenes. You're there every single day. What have you been seeing regarding all of this? Well, the reason we needed to talk with him is because this is not new with George Pickens. This has been bubbling, not even so much under the surface since he arrived in Pittsburgh and even before. If you go back and you look at the draft scouting report for George Pickens, there were things floating around like he can't get out of his own way, immaturity issues. Effort was not a problem, but it was still the overall attitude that can really break one of two ways. And I think last year you saw it. He was calling for, uh, he, he was yelling expletives as he came off the field in Atlanta saying, get me the ball more. There were other times when he was playing after the whistle and doing things that were just not the way that you would expect a player to conduct themselves. This year, the moment that jumps out in my head was training camp, where I watched him catch a pass one-on-one -on -one in a drill, spin the ball on the ground, and just leave it there and walk away. And Najee Harris had to grab him and tell him to go back and pick that ball up. We don't behave like that. Another time, he kicked a pylon over at the end of a run just because. Things like that were breadcrumbs to where we are now, where we've seen throughout the season, he doesn't celebrate when a teammate scores like Deontay Johnson, his first touchdown in over two years. Pickens ran off the field and then pouted on the bench. Another time he slumped over in the end zone when he didn't get the ball. And this is just a culmination of problems the Steelers have had since they brought him in. And by the way, I know that the GM is typically the guy that's making all the draft decisions here. But in Pittsburgh, it's a three-man nucleus of decision-making. It's Mike Tomlin, it's the general manager who's Omar Khan right now, and it's Art Rooney. So as far as building this roster and bringing George Pickens into the building, that falls on Mike Tomlin as much as it does the other decision-makers in Pittsburgh. Well, that's a really interesting point because we have sat here, and Dan, you, and D. Wood, I thought, really eloquently pointed out that this kind of behavior is usually policed by the locker room, okay? It is the players, not the coaches, or the coach in this case, that, that usually handle stuff like that. But what I think Brooke is telling us, and I think understandably so, is that they will take a chance maybe on some talented players with some of those questions because we have Mike Tomlin. And because Tomlin can handle that stuff, because our organization can handle that stuff, which takes us back to your question, which is, how did the Steelers get themselves into this position that used to get taken care of in that city? Because the coach can't police everything at every moment. The coach isn't in the training room in the morning time when guys are getting ready. And so players, so often when you're a player and you're a leader and you go into the training room and it's game week or it's a Wednesday or a Thursday morning and you see a guy who's maybe been struggling with the playbook, not have the playbook with him, you go, hey, go get your playbook when you're in the hot tub so you can go, go look at the plays or study your iPad. Or when you're, getting, you know, when, when you're in the weight room and maybe some guys aren't working in the weight room the way that they're supposed to, the, co the players police that. The coach isn't this micromanager. The coach is a person who, you know, empowers the leaders to do that. 
This is the second youngest offense in the NFL. I don't know if they have that person on offense to do that like, on a, on a moment-by-moment policing. So, so to George Pickens' point, I, of course, never played. And, and so my observations, I've just spent 50 years watching the game and 30 years covering it. And, of course, I have observed most times that block gets made. So you don't have to have played the game to recognize that. That said, when it comes to in-the-locker-room leadership, I think some of us, myself included, picture a guy like you, D. Wood, like backing a guy into a locker. You know, like, come on, this is not how we do stuff around here. And, and it being that kind of confrontational. Is that what it is? Is that what leadership in the locker room looks like? Take us inside there. Yeah, I mean, listen, you've had, I've, I've seen it all as a player. I've seen fights on the sideline. I've seen fights in the locker room. There's all different types of ways where guys kind of, quote-unquote, rally the troops in the locker room or yeah. wrap their arms around guys who may, you know, like I said, not fi- all 53 guys can't be angels. you got to have some junkyard dogs in the, in the locker room. So there's been situations where, you know, I've wrapped my arm around guys where you see questionable effort or you not seeing guys maybe not on their playbook and those type of things. And you just want to make, sure make sure they understand, listen, you, you're just as important as any other player. Like, we're de- each player is dependent on the next person going out there and doing their job. That's, on, that's the only way we as a collective can be successful. So in this, this situation right here, when you put that type of stuff on film, and a lot of times you know what happens? A coach, when it's egregious like that, a coach will literally put that stuff, like, in front of the team. Yes. Mm-hmm. He will literally put that stuff in front of the team so that player knows, like, hey. And then what happens? So now, now, now you're either, all either you Either you embarrassed as hell. Like, if you got any type of pride about you, you're embarrassed as hell because the last thing you want to do is, is have that type of stuff put out there in front of your teammates. Like, that's embarrassing. It, you agree. That team, that's your job interview. And what I would be telling George Pickens, like, look, either here or someplace else, you're going to want to get paid. You're a second-round pick. You're extension eligible in a year. What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known as tough, competitive, selfless, or what you're putting out on tape is inconsistent with that? So here are the answers to the test. For you to earn the money that you have clearly the ability to do so, that is unacceptable here, and it's unacceptable with all the 31 other teams. I I want to read you the quote from Jalen Warren, the the player for whom he does not block on that play because I think it's important. Um, This was in our notes of yesterday. Warren said, and this is a quote from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, quote, I see where he's coming from. It is what it is. At the end of the day, he was doing what he thought was best for him. Some people play the game differently. If I was in that position, I would have blocked for him, but we play differently. So, dot, dot, dot. So, I mean, that's... All right, like here, first of all, that comment says everything. Yeah. Okay, He he is doing everything he can to not directly say what he wants to while also getting his message across. Maybe, maybe I guess I'm a little old school and because I wasn't ultra talented, I had to. We're sitting here trying to have a conversation about an NFL football player who still has not proven himself playing for a playoff contending football team and asking him for more effort. There's nothing old school about that. Yeah. There's nothing old school about that. New generation. I can't believe that we're having a conversation about a Pittsburgh Steeler who's a playoff contending football team and having to go, can you play with more effort? You know what? I want to bring this one last thing up. And we talk about Mike Tomlin and the role that he plays in this whole thing. Yeah. 
Mike Tomlin, he, Mike Tomlin is one of the great orators of the coaches that I've ever that I've ever seen. Absolutely. And one of the things he always one of his one of his go to things he always says is the standard, standard is, is the, the standard. standard. Right. Where is the standard? Because you can't. Say where is this? Where is the standard? Right. Where is the standard? Like if you if you're going to continually put out keep, continually say the standard is the standard, but then the tape shows otherwise, where you're allowing these players. To, to not live up to the standard, what does that say about you? So, Greeny, let me just take you inside the draft room because I think Brooks said something very insightful. One of the expressions we use is the tape sets the floor and the character sets the ceiling. The reason George Pickens went in the second round, there were some questions about his work ethic and some intangibles, and that's what I would say to him is like, look, you have a great opportunity. Questioning your effort now is unacceptable. You're not maximizing your ability. Quickly, before I give Danny the last word, Brooke, you told us earlier, when you asked Mike Tomlin if he might bench him, what did the coach say? Mike Tomlin said no. Uh, George Pickens is going to play this week because he's talented. And to me, that that is why we are in the situation that the Steelers are in right now, because they valued talent over character. And one thing that Mike Tomlin said yesterday that really stuck out to me is that when they draft guys, they know their unfinished products, whether that's on the football field or in life. And he enjoys working with them in terms of growth and development and things like that, both on the field and off, but here's the thing. George Pickens has not grown or developed. And so when Mike Tomlin was talking about what he needs to do for him to do that, he said, we need to give George truth. George Pickens is not accepting the truth. And at that point, you've got to change your approach, and there has to be some kind of hard line taken with him that just hasn't been done to this point. As I'm running out of time here, I mean, you've made the point that it's hard for Kansas City to keep putting Kadarius Toney on the field because he keeps making mistakes. But at least those are legitimate mistakes. I mean, they're, they're the mistakes that, that players make, inexcusable or not. Th- this is totally different, right? And yet here's Mike Tomlin saying, well, he's so talented, I'm not taking him off the field. And Mike Tomlin is 100% correct on his talent. The problem is that they aren't good enough to bench him yeah. because his effort requires a benching. If you quit on your teammates that way, you don't deserve to be on the field. I I have to go to – Brooke, terrific work today, as always. Thank you. A pleasure to have you back, and we'll certainly keep you close because this is not a story that's coming to an end. We'll have more coverage of it uh, as the days and weeks go by. Meanwhile, as we continue, who's to blame for the failure in Philly? The coach had an answer for that question. You'll hear what it was. Plus, it is the most dangerous segment in sports television. Oh, look at that big fella. Damian Woody going to smash some tiny helmets next. All right, we are back on Get Up. One more sound off for you. I want you to hear Eagles coach Nick Sirianni reacting to some of the criticism that he and others have heard about his team's offense. This is my offense, and so the criticism on the offense, like, I think unfairly goes to Brian. Brian calls the plays. Brian calls the plays. It unfairly goes to Brian. The criticism on this offense should come at me. So he's taking the blame there, saying, don't blame the offensive coordinator, blame me. What do you think? Yeah, I would disagree, and I I think his point of Brian calls the plays is probably my issue. There's a difference between calling plays and calling a game. He calls plays, and they're good plays, but the flow of the game 
in many ways it doesn't fit. I think the offense is too predictable, and if I think it's too predictable, so does the defense. If you watch Seattle the other night, in many ways they knew what play was coming. This is just their traditional stack two-by-two bubble RPO. Jalen's reading that alley defender. If he goes out, Jalen will hand it off. If he goes in, Jalen's going to throw the bubble. Watch the corner up top, okay? The corner up top is triggering on A.J. Brown before the ball is out of Jalen Hurts' hands. Mm. He knows what one or two plays are likely to happen. A.J. Brown gets beat to the point and shoved backwards by a second-year corner. Yeah. That's, the corner knows there's really no counter off of that action. So is this, is this a Shane Steichen thing? Is, is this the departure of Shane Steichen, offensive coordinator, who's now doing a very good job as the coach in I think they I, I think they miss Shane Steichen's in-game adjustments, the flow of calling a game, what's working, what's not, what should I go to because of what the defense is giving me, how can I hurt what the defense is doing, rather than Brian Johnson does a good job of calling plays, but that's not how you call games. What are you seeing? I see, honestly, I see a stale offense. I do. I see a, a stale, like you say, a stale, predictable. They're not, you know, they're not winning the battle up front. And you see in the quarterback, that's turned the ball over a lot. So I think because of their predictability, teams are, defenses are all on this offense. Yeah, to that point, Green, they have 17, Jalen Hurts has 17 turnovers. 12 is when they have the lead. That can't happen. Yeah. Those 17 share the league lead, which I always think is the wrong way to look at it because it's not something someone wants to lead in. They're last in that category. Is this fixable? They have three games to finish their season, two against the Giants, one against Arizona. Will they look much better when the playoffs start? It's fixable. I think they need more motion on their offense. I need to, They need to go a little bit more under center play action, and they need to find ways to get the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands sooner and get more yards after the catch. Fair enough. Okay, there's one piece of business left, but it's the best thing we got. Let's make our picks and smash the helmets. Welcome to the most dangerous segment. Big man, tiny helmet. Get the goggles ready. That went right by my face. Things just got real. Yeah, yeah. Turn to the side. Turn to the side. Graziano's got a lot of potential. There's no coming back from that. I think that might be my best. All right, here we go. It is a weekly tradition. We miss Kmart and and, and her smashing this week. She's on assignment. So we got Danny, we got uh, Mike T, and, of course, the big fella smashing the helmet. So we'll start with Ravens 49ers. That's Monday night. The Niners are a a five-and-a-half-point road favorite. And, by the way, the Ravens say they feel disrespected Mm. by that. Smash the losing team. Giving a business. Then I guess I'm going to be disrespectful as well. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Listen, you're talking about. That imploded. Yes, it did. It really did implode. You're talking about the best offense as far as yak in the league against the defense that give us the least amount of yards yet. But I'm going to go with this team right here. The way they're playing offensively, they're on a whole nother level right now. That might be the single most violent smash we've ever had in the history of the show. Put the picks on the screen. Danny, why do you like the 49ers? I think they're the best team in football. I do agree with Wood. Like, tackling-wise, Baltimore's defense will get stressed in a way that it hasn't so far this year. Matabike is a huge part of this game. The Mm -hmm. defensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens is a fantastic player. I think if San Francisco can control him, they control the game. I think it's the other side of the ball, which is the offensive line, Ronnie Stanley. He has not played a full game. They're rotating him. San Francisco's defensive line controls the game. You're giving me a back to the future. I I took the Ravens, by the way, solely because no one else did. Okay, Rams, Saints tonight. Rams are a four-point home favorite. Smash. Oh! 
Oh, oh my gosh, he actually <laughs> impacted the other game. Dog. Am I upset this morning? Why do you like today? Yeah. Why do you like the Rams? Oh, listen. Greeny, and as much as we talk about Buffalo and the AFC as a scary team, I think the Rams are that yep. team in the NFC that teams are not going to put. Matthew Stafford, I agree with, with Dan. Matthew Stafford is playing some of the best football at the quarterback position of any quarterback in the National Football League. I like the Rams. The reverberation of that was felt all the way to South Florida. <laughs> smash that one there. Mike T is the only one on the Saints. Okay, uh, maybe the biggest game of the weekend or most interesting, Dolphins-Cowboys. Dolphins are a one-and-a-half-point home favorite Sunday afternoon. Oh, yeah. taking out Dallas. Yeah, I'm taking out Dallas. Why? Because, listen, I think I think Miami's offense is going to stress that Dallas defense too much. I think the running game is going to create a lot of issues. Mike McDaniel is going to, in that, that man coverage that the Dallas Cowboys like to play, they're going to be exposed on that back end. Dolphins. I, I agree. I think all the things that Miami offensively does strength-wise – is a weakness of the Dallas defense. And then if you flip it, unless Jake Ferguson or Pollard have big games as pass catchers, Miami's, Miami stresses the completion-driven offense of Dallas. Dak Prescott, we talked about him for six weeks. Bump of the road last week. He rebounds this week. Mm. Uh, they asked me just to hold up the bottom of the mallet just so you can see what he has done to this thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's just like a... Uh, like all the colors of all yeah. the different teams. Yeah, we like Skittles over here. Play Skittles. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's funny, I, I, if we were doing nails, it'd be like this from me. It would yeah. just be like, waka. Yeah. Remarkably well done. All right, the picks have been made. The helmets have been smashed. Tonight on ESPN, one of college basketball's great rivalries. We got number nine, Kentucky, taken on Louisville. Tip is six Eastern on ESPN and the ESPN app. All right, some of you guys are headed over to first take. Who's been more impressive, Dak or Tua? Who's more deserving of the MVP, Lamar or Purdy? The debate starts top of the hour here on ESPN. Bowl season rolls on tonight. USF and Syracuse in the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl tonight, 8 Eastern on ESPN. Here's my question. How is it that Harry Douglas is there calling that game and you who live across the street are here with me? I, I don't know, but, you know, I had to fill some big shoes here today. You know, I'm getting that boy bad text and things like that. That's exactly. You know what? I'm very <laughs> glad you didn't try and do that feature. That's the only thing I will say. All right, good fun today. We'll see you tomorrow.